0: Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, 2022 will surely be remembered as the summer of extremes, extremes that experts say will likely be more frequent in the future, which serves as yet another reminder about the importance of preparedness, yet another challenge for disadvantaged communities. And perhaps nowhere is the challenge of disaster preparedness and recovery better demonstrated than in the flooded regions of Eastern Kentucky where Todd James has been deployed as part of the Red Cross response team. And also this morning in our community and business spotlight, how does the United Way make a positive impact in people's lives? It's a question that's frequently asked as we approach another annual fundraising campaign. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, August 17th, 2022. If you need a reason to celebrate today, it is Black Cat Appreciation Day today. Black Cat Appreciation Day. It is also National Number Two Pencil Day. <laughs> now, there's a reason you're, you're planning a party, right? Uh, National Number Two Pencil Day, National Thrift Shop Day, Baby Boomers Recognition Day, National Vanilla Custard Day, and I Love My Feet Day. Day. <laughs> I kid you not. That's what it says. I love my feet day. Well, all right. Big news. Big news. This may be the most important, most significant piece of information you hear today. Girl Scout cookie season just got a little bit sweeter. They just added a new chocolate raspberry flavor to the Girl Scout cookie lineup hear about this the girl scouts of america have announced that the newest cookie for the upcoming 2023 cookie season raspberry rally it is a thin crispy raspberry flavored cookie dipped in the same chocolate coating as the beloved thin mints it's been dubbed the sister cookie of thin mints by girl scout officials uh, raspberry Rally infused with raspberry flavor instead of mint. So that's pretty much it. And it's a beautifully simple idea. I think it'll be a big seller. Uh, raspberry Rally gives devoted Girl Scout cookie lovers yet another reason to be excited for the upcoming cookie season. Uh, Girl Scout officials said in a statement, this must-have new cookie will be the first in the Girl Scouts cookie lineup to be exclusively offered for online direct shipment only. So that's a change. It is meant to help enhance Scouts e-commerce sales and entrepreneurial skills. So you won't be able to order it. Well, now I'm, I'm a bit confused uh, uh, by this. It says it'll be exclusively offered for online direct uh, shipment. But it's meant to help enhance girls' e-commerce sales skills. So does that mean you'll be able to place an order with the Girl Scout that comes knocking at your door? And they'll just ship it to you rather than, I'm not sure. Or I know, some such. Anyway, the new raspberry, raspberry Rally cookies will be available nationally during the upcoming selling season, January through April with possible variations by locale. Proceeds raised from in-person and online cookie orders directly benefit local councils and troops, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. We all, all know that anyway. But uh, Raspberry Rally, new Girl Scout cookie flavor. So big news there. Uh, some of the other most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Have you been following this story by chance? I, I don't know if you heard about this. If you drive a Kia or Hyundai Automobile, you should know about this, a new viral TikTok trend has sparked a rash of car thefts around the U.S. Apparently on TikTok, there are videos, or there were videos, I think they've been taken down now, but the secret is out, um, that demonstrated, these videos demonstrated how you can hotwire an automobile using just a USB phone charger. Somehow through the USB port, and you know how cars are so daggone technologically advanced these days. Um, apparently, there is a uh, something in the computer system of Kia and Hyundai models uh, where you can start them up using just a USB phone charger in Cook County, Illinois, which includes the Chicagoland area, the state's most populous city, Uh, Local authorities say they have seen a 767% increase in car thefts of Kia and Hyundai models since 2021. 767% increase. Since the 1st of July, uh, they have received 642 reports of thefts of Kia and Hyundai models alone. That is, last year, uh, that number was 74. Now it's 642 just since July 1st. An extremely concerning trend, and the public needs to know so they can be vigilant in protecting themselves, according to Cook County Sheriff Thomas J. Dart. The hack only works on cars with keys that don't have engine immobilizers, which is a type of anti-theft technology that uses a computer chip to help an engine recognize a corresponding key. Uh, Hyundai, in a statement to Good Morning America, said the... uh, TikTok videos target Hyundai models that were made before November of 2021. The automaker plans to roll out security kits for those models starting in October. But <laughs> for the time being, uh, you definitely do not want to leave your uh, Hyundai or Kia vehicles, you know, out in the driveway at night, where somebody with a USB charger and a hammer to break the window can make off with your. With your car. That is just crazy. Isn't it? I mean. It's really weird. Uh, let's see. What else is going on in the world? This is big news. I don't know whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. You'll have to decide for yourself. Miller Lite and Tipsy Scoop. <laughs> which is apparently an ice cream. An alcohol infused ice cream company. Tipsy Scoop. <laughs> I didn't know that there was such a thing. But Miller Lite and Tipsy Scoop have collaborated to create a truly unique and somewhat odd flavor, the Ice Cream Dive Bar. <laughs> the Ice Cream Dive Bar. It's an ice cream bar that it actually is supposedly uh, tastes like your favorite dive bar, your favorite hole in the wall establishment, peanut shells and all. It marks the 100th anniversary of the Ice Cream Bar which is this year, and contains up to 5% alcohol. The concoction contains beer, peanut swirls, tobacco smoke flavor, and caramel, all dipped in dark chocolate. (laughs) And tobacco smoke flavor. Mm, Yum, yum. (laughs) I don't know. Would you try it? The uh, ice cream dive bar. (laughs) Uh, I don't think you'll find that at your local Walmart. I just don't think it's probably an online sales thing, I would guess. Okay, then. Uh, This is kind of interesting. By the way, speaking of of thefts, I'm talking about the the theft of those vehicles with a USB phone charger. This was kind of interesting. I saw on the uh, newswire... You know how retailers everywhere uh, have gone to these uh, self-checkout lanes in order to speed up the checkout process, Uh, and I know that a lot of people have kind of a love-hate relationship uh, with them. The idea of having to check yourself out of the store is a little annoying, but at the same time, most places it's much quicker than standing in a checkout line. so that's it. But what is what is interesting here is that uh, apparently as a result of the self checkout lines, businesses are dealing with a new problem. Petty theft cases are on the rise. Now initially when I saw this I thought, well, no kidding, it's pretty easy to just you know not scan something and and take it. And, uh, you know what I mean, is you could have predicted this. But according to this report, and um, I don't know if this is from the Associated Press or uh, whether this was a particular news organization that uh, did this investigation or looked into this, apparently it is less about people who are deliberately stealing stuff and more about people who forget to scan small items at the self-checkout lane. They just forget there are so many items and most of those self-checkout lanes, they don't have big conveyor belts where you can put all of your items from your cart up there to check out at the same time. You have to kind of go through a little at a time, and it can be very easy to overlook a small item in your cart at checkout. Um, But here's the the problem. Uh, Obviously, uh, some of these people are getting caught. And getting prosecuted for shoplifting. And the average cost uh, for an attorney in such a case runs anywhere from three dollars to $5,000. Um, instead of paying fines or admitting guilt, many people want to protect their reputations and spend thousands of dollars defending themselves. Um, Sandra Barger, a uh, consultant from the uh, Arizona area, she says uh, she advises asking for help from an employee... Uh, if you find that you have accidentally shoplifted something and never use self-checkout for a large number of items, just uh, something quick, you know, in, in and out sort of thing. So, I don't know, just something to think of my, think about. Thought well, that was kind of interesting. Uh, Here's some other big news. I heard about this uh, yesterday. Uh, American Airlines uh, has announced that they are planning to buy 20 supersonic planes. Uh, apparently the, what, uh, American Airlines and I think United is also, uh, there are a couple of companies that are working on building supersonic planes. There's not been supersonic commercial air flight since the retirement of the Concorde uh, many years ago, but, uh, overture and boom are looking at building supersonic airplanes, American, uh, say they are buying 20 supersonic Overture planes. Oh, it's uh, the the Overture is the name of the plane. Boom is the name of the company. It's not two. It's just, okay, gotcha. Okay. So uh, the Boom Overture planes, American uh, placed an order for 20 of them. Uh, the CEO of Boom, Blake Scholl, tells CNBC a flight from Miami to London would be less than five hours. It'd be about three and a half hours from New York to London. Can you imagine three and a half hours? That's about the time uh, it takes to fly from here to, what, Denver or Dallas? Something like that. You could be in London in that amount of time. Uh, it says United has agreed to buy more than a dozen of the Jets. Americans uh, are going to be buying 20. Now, these are still still in development. They're not in production yet, but it is projected that they will uh, be in the air uh, by the end of this decade, and they say they could fly 1,300 miles an hour. Isn't that amazing? That would, uh, that would mean New York to L.A. in like two hours. That's crazy. Uh, but speaking of planes, <laughs> maybe it's not all it's cracked up to be. A police officer at the state capitol in Maine is lucky to be alive after a falling airplane part just missed him. Did you hear about this story? Six to seven pound steel sleeve smashed into the ground outside the main entrance to the main state capitol last Friday afternoon. An officer who works as a screener at the building was less than 10 feet from where the part fell. The FAA says the the part is likely from a large airliner on an international route. So, (laughs) wow. Anyway, there you go. Some of the most interesting
1: and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. It'll be partly to mostly sunny today with a high around 80. Skies will be mostly clear tonight, a low around 60. Finley City Schools welcomed 45 new teachers to the district during new Trojan orientation. New staff members received a warm Trojan welcome and information on goals and expectations. WTOL 11 spoke with instructional coach Courtney Elbin. Every new staff member in there has a mentor. They have somebody who's been in Finley City Schools before as kind of their touchpoint to make sure that if they need anything throughout the school year, they have that support that they need to have a successful year for our students. The first day for Finley City Schools is Tuesday, August. August 23rd, The Finley City Schools Board of Education has voted to install an immediate active shooter notification system in their schools called Safe Defend.
0: Basically how this works is uh, at a touch of a button, an immediate notification goes out to law enforcement, firefighters, EMS personnel, and also district staff in the building and administrators across the district.
1: School Board President Matt Cooper says every classroom and large common spaces throughout the district will be equipped with a safety box and activation modules. He says the system provides instant notification in multiple ways in cases of an active shooter or a life-threatening crisis. Get much more on this new system on our website. It looks like the president is planning to pay a visit to the Columbus suburb of New Albany soon.
0: President Biden is coming to Ohio for the intel groundbreaking. The visit will highlight the recent signing of the CHIPS Act, which sets aside $52 billion to boost domestic semiconductor research and production. No specific date has been set for the president's visit, which is expected in the coming weeks. I'm Tracy Townsend.
1: It was announced earlier this year that Intel had chosen a site in central Ohio's Licking County near New Albany as the future home for its most advanced semiconductor manufacturing facilities in the world. The Ohio State Highway Patrol is hoping to get your vote in the Best Looking Cruiser Contest. The friendly competition among state law enforcement agencies is put on by the American Association of State Troopers. On the website, we have a link where you can check out cruisers from all across the country and vote for your favorite. I'm Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM.
0: Well, this will certainly be remembered as a summer of extremes, extreme heat, deadly wildfires and floods, severe storms, one right after the other in many parts of the uh, of the country and really all over the world. And experts say that we should expect these types of events to become more frequent and even more widespread in the future. But according to a new survey commissioned by the humanitarian medical organization, Direct Relief, people are largely unprepared for that likelihood. And joining us is Direct Relief. President and CEO, Thomas Teig. And Thomas, some really alarming data coming out of this survey. What stood out the most to you?
2: Well, I think, you know, it was sort of confirming the suspicion we had is that people are busy and occupied by events and the things that direct relief thinks about um, in how to respond to emergencies, and particularly given our focus on prescription medication availability, which becomes often a, a huge issue, a lot of folks are otherwise occupied and aren't really prepared uh, and haven't anticipated that scenario of needing to leave, not knowing what their medications are or having them in adequate supply. So I think it reaffirms something that we have seen um, repeatedly in these emergencies that, as you mentioned, they are increasing in frequency and severity. So it's a pretty basic thing um, we believe to get better prepared um, given the threats and the consequences that we see when, uh, when that doesn't happen
0: on that point of with relation to a medication uh again one of the data points here it says more than a third about 37 percent uh so nearly uh four in ten say that they would only have uh less than a week of medication on hand if something were to happen and they had to evacuate you know at a moment's notice so obviously those individuals would be among the most at risk, uh, during a, an event like what we have seen in so many places just this summer.
2: Right. I think, you know, there's a lot of chronic disease that exists in the, in the country and, and people with a, a chronic condition, whether it's diabetes or asthma or hypertension, if it's managed, they're fine. And they go about their lives. If, if those conditions become unmanaged, you know, a person who's um, dependent on insulin for their diabetes doesn't have it, that can become an acute crisis rather rapidly. Yeah. Same thing, you know, uh, if you, you know, have asthma. So I think it's, it's predictable. It's just, um, as we look at the, the threats, it's just good to be more sensitive to that. And um, I mean, a week is pretty good, um, but you know, you, you, for things to bounce back, but not always. And so I think it's just a reminder for direct relief to, do what we can to backstop these situations that we've seen, Um, but also for individuals themselves to do simple things like make a list of what your prescription medications are in writing with the dosage and who the prescribing physician is and the phone number and make a digital copy of that as well. That can go a long way if you are an evacuee to getting it filled uh, more rapidly. Uh, then if you don't know what you're taking or who the prescribing physician was, you've got to be re-diagnosed and they've got to figure it out again. So right. those are pretty basic uh, safeguards, you know, to, that we think are good ideas for people to, to undertake.
0: You make a, a good point that uh, you know in the past we say you know seven days or a week's worth of medication is is pretty good as a rule of thumb. But again, as these things become more intense, more frequent. Uh, and wider spread, maybe we need to rethink that basic and start to think a little bit uh, further out. And and you were kind of touching on this uh, was the question that I wanted to ask to follow up in, in the event of uh, an emergency, an evacuation, something like that. What should those individuals who rely on those medi- medications and medical devices and so on, what should those individuals do to make sure that they have what they need?
2: I think for you know medical devices is another thing that you know is I mean they're great things like oxygen concentrators they can uh, keep people healthy and but you can one thing I wanted to mention is that a lot of utilities around the country you can register if you are dependent on an electronically powered device mm. so you can register with the utility so they know you're there you know and that there's a priority list of reestablishing power. Um, if you're in evacuation in evacuee status, it's a bit different. But just registering with utilities for those types of things, and I think really the, the differentiated risk for those who are, have good insurance or part of a national health plan and get their prescriptions filled at a national chain pharmacy, it's relatively easier than if you are reliant on your local nonprofit community health center or your free and charitable clinic. That's who Direct Relief uh, works with because those facilities play an essential role for people who don't have a lot of options and don't have a lot of money and are kind of live in a heightened state of vulnerability. That's typically where direct leaf ends up plugging in because those are the facilities that care for the people who have heightened vulnerability because they have fewer options. They have less money, less wealth, um, kind of face uh, heightened risks. So they're kind of the rule of thumb is who's vulnerable in an emergency are the people who are vulnerable the day before the emergency. And so that's really the organizing principle that we use to try to focus the charitable philanthropic efforts to swing in in a focused way um, in these situations, because what we do is at direct relief is relatively narrowly focused prescription medications, which requires special accreditation and licensing, which we have in Mm -hmm. all 50 U.S. states and territories. So that's why we're, keenly sensitive to that particular issue um, and, and why the survey, you know, we commissioned that and yeah. confirmed what we expected.
0: And and to that end, uh, as we mentioned, the experts are saying that these are likely to become more widespread, more frequent moving forward. So how are you uh, adapting what you do to that reality and how do folks help?
2: Yeah, we're doing a lot, of more, a lot more pre-positioning. I think it used to be that, the hurricane season was sort of predictable within a a range of time, a certain months of the year and certain places and wildfire season out here in the West was predictable within a season. Now now these seasons are getting all blurred. So wildfire season is all year in the West and hurricanes can pop up everywhere. And these uh, extreme weather events that tax the grid and can cause such havoc, those are happening both in winter and summer as, as we've seen. So, I think what we're trying to do is what we've always done, but more so, more pre positioning, uh, more refined focus on what are the, the actual threats that we can anticipate and mitigate against for things like stockpiling certain types of products or medications, and also increasingly helping the community facilities, nonprofit community facilities, have resilient backup power. You know, solar and uh, storage and batteries is really important if the grid goes down. That the services do not go down so that these uh, critical health facilities can stay functioning, which hospitals do I mean hospitals have to have backup power to be accredited right the community health centers and pre and charitable clinics they're not required to have it, and many of them don't because of cost. so directleaf is uh, is helping them just paying for solar uh, and storage battery storage systems so that they can stay functioning when they're most needed
1: mm.
0: Uh, it is uh, really uh, interesting. Uh, again, Direct Relief President, CEO Thomas Tighe uh, talking about uh, preparing for more widespread, more frequent disasters moving forward. And you have uh, more information about uh, things like evacuation, evacuation planning, uh, preparedness uh, checklists, and so on, particularly for those most vulnerable uh, groups of individuals on your website?
2: Correct. And that's Direct Relief dot org, and we've got that in 75 more than any one person would probably care to know about direct relief, but it's all there at directrelief.org. And you know the FEMA also FEMA.gov is is a pretty good uh, thing for consumers to use, just a mental checklist of what you should have in a go bag or ways to think about you know preparing mentally for these types of uh, and practically uh, for situations that may require an evacuation. It's worth taking a look at in your free time just to get ready so you're not a a victim. You know, the first responder to in an event is you. Right. For your you know, that, for yourself. That's so.
0: that's, a, that's yeah, the, you perfect of, for yourself the perfect way this, of the perfect way of looking at it. The perfect way of looking at it. We will link that up on our webpage. Thomas Teig, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it.
2: Thank you very much, Chris. My pleasure.
0: So as we're speaking this morning about this summer of extremes that serves as yet another reminder about the importance of disaster preparedness, which is yet another challenge for disadvantaged communities, perhaps nowhere is that fact better demonstrated right now in the present day than in the flooded regions of eastern Kentucky. And that is where Todd James has been deployed as part of the Red Cross response team. And Todd, first of all, uh, flooding is obviously something all of us here at home can relate to, and commiserate with but the level of devastation that you are seeing there in eastern kentucky we've seen some of the images in the video on the news does it even compare to what any of us have experienced here back back at home
3: well chris um it's good to talk to you again thank you and you know i i I don't know that i want to say compare i mean a disaster is a disaster for whoever is affected but i will say that Here in Eastern Kentucky, what they suffered uh, two and a half weeks ago and what they're still suffering through and and will be for a long time is almost unimaginable. I mean, as you said, we're well aware of flooding and and we've been through it. Yeah. Um, But flash floods like this that come just, you know, the the best way I could. It's like an unstoppable freight train. Yeah. It just roars through these communities, through these homes, tearing everything apart. So it's different than what we've suffered. Uh, and it is so widespread and has affected so many families. Well,
0: I think that's uh, that's maybe the the most significant way you can put it is if if for for you and you've seen what we've gone through and you've seen a lot of uh, flooding devastation and to say that it's uh, unimaginable is uh, really says a lot. And again, as we're talking about some of the challenges both before and after a disaster and how they are particularly acute in disadvantaged communities, certainly that part of Kentucky would largely fall into that category.
3: Yeah, unfortunately, the families that have been impacted most by this had the least. Um, You know, there's a lot of families here that had very little to begin with, and this flood has left them with nothing. We've had hundreds of families that have uh, been staying in shelters with us. We still have hundreds of families in shelters, And they're going to be there for a long time because they don't have a home to go to. Yeah, We've identified so far nearly 1,500 homes that have been destroyed or suffered major damage. Uh, Hundreds, if not thousands, of other homes that have been affected and and repairs are going to take a while. So it has been um, just so hard for these folks. And it's a double whammy, unfortunately. I was down here just a year and a half ago when they had another major flood. A yeah. lot of those families were just starting to pick up the pieces from that flood hmm. when this one came along. So and they're also the recovery effort's going to be very long.
0: Yeah, and and they're also I would imagine probably less likely to be insured or have the resources, as you were saying, to easily pick up and and you know get back on their feet again.
3: Yeah, I mean I don't have any statistics, but I think you would be right about that. Yeah. I, I think a lot of these families uh, don't have those kind of resources available. Um, fortunately, the the generosity of folks uh, supporting what we're doing and what the uh, many other organizations that are on the ground, the state of Kentucky and FEMA are here. Uh, there's going to be a lot of resources available, but it's still going to be very, very hard for these families.
0: Yeah. Again, as we mentioned earlier, this is yet another example in this summer of extremes that experts say likely to be more common and more widespread in the future of the importance of preparedness. What is involved in in personal disaster preparedness? Let's, uh, again, kind of talk about this uh, so we put that in people's minds uh, and get them thinking about these things.
3: Well, you know, we talk about this a lot. I've been on with you many times talking about preparedness. One of the the basic things, the most important things folks can do is have a family emergency kit ready uh, that has those basic supplies, copies of your important papers, uh, those things that you can grab and go quickly. Because in a case like this, you know, when the the flood warnings are issued, folks didn't have a whole lot of time, if any time at all, uh, to get out of the house and try to be safe. So um, if you can have a kit loaded, ready to go, that you can grab and take with you. But it's also... You know, knowing do I ha- where am I going to go? Do I have a place to go if I have to leave my house? Um, those are the things, folks. You know, should be thinking about ahead of time, planning for. Um, but sometimes we're lucky and we we get a little bit of a warning before something happens, but sometimes, like here, there is no warning. Uh, It just hits, and it hits hard.
0: Yeah, and and to the extent, when we talk about preparedness, I I guess this is one of those things, uh, something that we don't often talk about, but it can be the difference between... Uh Maybe even life and death to the extent that we are in a position to help those who may be less fortunate in helping our our neighbors and friends and even less fortunate family prepare uh, you know ahead of a disaster uh, that certainly can make a huge difference
3: definitely you know when you're thinking about preparedness for your family you know think about your other family members, maybe think about some of your elderly neighbors
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh, what what would they do? if a disaster were to hit your neighborhood or folks that might have disabilities and would need some help. So um, it is a great idea when you're thinking about preparedness like that to, to think about your neighbors and your, your family as well as helping your family get prepared.
0: So with respect to where you are in Eastern Kentucky now, what has been the biggest challenge that these folks have faced? What will be the biggest challenge that still lies ahead moving forward?
3: Well, you know, cleaning up right now is starting to begin in in the communities for the folks who can get back into their homes. Uh, And as we know, you know, cleaning up after a flood, after any disaster, is a a major effort. We have a a lot of resources coming in to help these folks. There's a lot of organizations on the ground lending a hand with the cleanup and the repair. Housing is going to be a serious issue Uh, just for a lot of these folks who are in the shelters now Um, you know, they don't have any place to go and they can't go home and and, housing is not readily available. That's going to be a big challenge that we're going to be addressing again with many other organizations, with our governmental partners, with other organizations. Um, You're talking about families also that that this is generational. I mean, they've lived on this land and, and in these homes for generations and picking up and leaving is very, very tough to think about. So that's going to be a large part of what the long-term recovery effort is going to look like. And also, not just the homes, but, you know, entire communities were affected by this. Businesses were destroyed, and, and, you know, the communities count on those businesses for their lifeblood, and those businesses are going to have to, you know, figure out how they move forward. So we're looking at at a recovery effort of years here, really, in the long run. Mm.
0: And again, uh, just demonstrates the fact that uh, organizations such as the Red Cross are so very important. And obviously, uh, for those who want to help, uh, you've got more resources on your website to uh, guide folks to be able to uh, uh, help those parts, uh, you know, that part of the country and, and other places uh, dealing with these disasters that have been so widespread uh, this year uh, deal with those
3: very much Uh, please visit our website at redcross.org that's where you can make a donation to our relief fund if you would like you'll also find resources to help you and your family prepare all the information you're going to need on putting together a family emergency kit making a plan for what you're going to do in a disaster um you know you you heard me talk about this a lot but if if this is the one that makes you think hey you know i i probably should take a few minutes and do this please take that few minutes and talk with your family about preparing and, and what you would do if something like this were to happen.
0: Todd James, the Red Cross, uh, part of the uh, response team in Eastern Kentucky with us uh, this morning. And Todd, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it.
3: Hey, Chris, thank you. Thanks, everybody back home. You know, I get, I get so many uh, kind wishes of support and, and folks who are, are contributing and supporting what we do down here. So really appreciate it and, and looking forward to getting home and seeing everybody soon.
2: We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert.
0: Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Have you ever thought about buying an abandoned storage locker or, you know, one of those uh, storage units uh, that they will auction off when, when people don't pay their bill and they disappear they had a whole show reality show uh, on the storage wars you remember when that was uh, when that was on TV uh, people will buy these things up and then they'll uh, crack open the lock they'll see what's inside they'll resell that stuff for a profit right so and sometimes you find some really valuable stuff uh, in these uh, storage lockers uh, in these storage units jewels or electronics you know things like that well you might want to think again about uh, going into that particular business. A family in New Zealand purchased a storage facility unit at auction and unknowingly purchased human remains in the process. <laughs> yeah. The uh, fam- family called police uh, after discovering the uh, <clears throat> unsavory, or making the unsavory discovery in their hall. The police now investigating the situation, trying to identify the remains. They currently do not believe that the uh, family who purchased the storage unit had any prior knowledge of that they were there or that it any bad acts that might have been committed. So, I mean, they're off the hook, but still, not what you want to discover in the storage unit that you just bought. it's weird. Uh, let's see, a little closer to home, um, a uh, DoorDash driver in Columbus. Is now off the job after one of his customers got a surprising extra item with their order. Customer found a small bag of marijuana with the rest of his uh, food order. Uh, the man, <laughs> the man uh, who is uh, anonymous in this uh, news report from uh, Columbus uh, Television, says the driver returned a short time later to offer him a full refund in exchange for the bag. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, the DoorDash driver comes back and says, um I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'll refund your order if you just give me back that extra little baggie. <laughs> that was mistakenly. Instead, the uh, customer contacted police and DoorDash. The uh, company says the driver has been removed from the platform. Uh, police are gathering more information before making any arrests. DoorDash driver comes back and says, Um, can I have that back, please? I'm sorry. <laughs> Speaking of food, you typically don't think of a cheeseburger as a dangerous weapon, but in this case, the story from the uh, Smoking Gun website in uh, Pinellas County, Florida, um, James Hunt, age 41, is in jail charged with felonious battery with a cheeseburger. <laughs> Felonious battery with a cheeseburger. Of course, this would be a story from Florida. Uh, Mr. Hunt was arguing with his girlfriend at a local Burger King because according to police, the victim was not eating her food. (laughs) I bought you this food, now eat it! Uh things became violent in the disagreement, and police say Mr. Hunt threw a cheeseburger at the victim, striking her in the back of the head. This action then caused the victim to fall over a curb onto the ground where the woman suffered a cut and abrasion on her chin and lip when she hit the pavement. So, Mr. Hunt is taken into custody charged with felony domestic battery, a bond set at $15,000 and a um, an order of protection uh, issued by the judge for him to stay away from his I would assume now ex-girlfriend. <laughs> And for heaven's sakes, don't buy her any food. <laughs> um <laughs> this story out of uh, California where a monkey at a uh, at a zoo northwest of Bakersfield, monkey called 911. Uh leading to a police response and the whole thing how embarrassing. Uh the a monkey named Root lives at the Conservation Ambassador Zoo near Paso Robles, uh, northwest of Bakersfield. The monkey apparently picked up a cell phone that had been left in a golf cart at the zoo. Apparently, the animals are, are allowed to kind of roam freely. And uh, the monkey noticed this uh, cell phone that had been left on a golf cart by one of the employees. And as curious monkeys, uh, capuchin monkeys, uh, very uh, notorious for their curiosity and their mischievousness. The monkey started messing around with the phone. Somehow managed to dial 911 and then hang up. When uh, dispatchers tried to call the number back, they didn't receive a response. So as per protocol, sheriff's deputies were dispatched to investigate. They finally figured out what had happened. The sheriff's office Facebook post says uh, it appears that uh, the the sheriff's office Facebook post says that uh, Root will not be charged for making a fraudulent call to emergency services. He was she was just monkeying around. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> how crazy is that? You got a story to tell? Hey, you never believe what happened to. To me the other day i got called out on a 911 call for a monkey That's weird. and finally in the broken news this morning uh i don't know if you happen to hear about this story uh but it's got a well i guess a happy ending a happier ending than it could have been actress laura mcculloch sparked uh, sparked a nationwide manhunt when her family said she vanished after going on a, an online date Well, now the actress has been found (laughs) in a California jail cell. Uh, Friends, family, and fans of the 37-year-old actress sounded the alarm when uh, Ms. McCulloch did not return after a first date on Friday and had stopped responding to text messages and calls. Reports said she was last seen at a restaurant in Santa Monica The good news is she's been found and she's safe. The bad news is she was in jail for biting a police officer. Apparently, a statement from the Santa Monica Police Department described what happened, saying officers were dispatched around 830 on Friday night for a report of a battery at the restaurant. According to the reporting party, a female, later identified as Laura McCulloch, the actress, threw a drink at a restaurant patron and their two-year-old child. Nice. Upon arrival, officers contacted Ms. McCulloch, who showed obvious signs of intoxication. While conducting an investigation, uh, Ms. McCulloch charged at the officers while yelling expletives, the statement continued. Despite efforts to calm her, she continued to display aggressive behaviors. During efforts to detain her, she became physically combative, kicked at officers, and bit one officer on the shoulder. She She was then taken to the santa monica jail and charged with public intoxication and resisting arrest she appeared before a judge on tuesday so the good news is she's fine she's safe obviously a little hungover (laughs) just got herself into a little trouble with the law (laughs) sparked a nationwide manhunt and uh, she was in jail the whole time there you go uh that is today's broken news report this update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to us a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming.
4: How do you measure the cost of a life? Is it in years lived or good deeds completed? In Hancock County, we have reversed over 400 drug related overdoses since January. Join us on Friday, August 26th from 2 to 4.30 at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts to support overdose awareness. Drug-related overdoses can be prevented, so I ask again, how do you measure the cost of a life?
0: Now time for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, and the statistics that shape our lives. So as kids begin preparing to return to the classroom over the next couple of weeks... Teachers are facing historic out-of-pocket costs to make sure that those classrooms are ready for students to return. Fred Tabaris is an art teacher in Austin, Texas, who says he had to pick up a second job as a restaurant dishwasher just to make sure that he can give his students the experience he says they deserve. He teaches 12 different classes for more than 400 students, and he's not alone Paige Sahey, who is a middle school teacher in Florida, says she had to get a roommate so to, to cut down she's taking, you know half of what she would normally be spending on rent and instead funneling that to her budget for school supplies for her students. So she actually had to take on a roommate in order to afford this. Whether it's fair or not, here's the number. of teachers across the country say they are forced to pay out of pocket, uh, pay out of their own pocket to get supplies uh, for their students and or for their classroom. 94% of teachers. And here's the kicker, uh, because of inflation that has been so rampant for everyone this year, it's hitting teachers as well. They are now spending an average, an average of $750 of their own money on school supplies and classroom supplies. That is an all-time high. Now, if you think this, this is not fair, and it's not, there is a way that you can help. Uh, a website called AdoptAClassroom.org is a national nonprofit that provides classroom funding to pre-K through 12 Uh, Classrooms, teachers, schools throughout the U.S. You can find them online at adoptaclassroom.org. Now, the Good Mornings Community and Business Spotlight. Angela DeBosky, CEO of the United Way of Hancock County, with us once again this morning. And uh, Angela, are we coming up uh, just talking before we uh, got started here about how the summer has flown by? We're talking about the start of football season, back to school. Before you know it, the uh, United Way campaign, another
4: campaign to be kicking off. It is. We've already increased our pace in preparation for it. So <laughs> it's an exciting time uh, because we we love to be able to connect with people and share what our resources are.
0: So uh, actually, the campaign will begin in September. Uh, talk really quickly about putting all of that together and, and where things stand as you're preparing for that annual event.
4: Well, we really kind of have two um, prongs of Uh, two paths that we go on. Mm -hmm. The first one is that we are preparing for our corporate partners who run campaigns at their workplace. Mm -hmm. The second being individuals and retirees that we reach out to in the community. And we really rely heavily on both uh, to be able to support the work that we do here that helps one in four people in our community. So it really does have a large impact locally.
0: Okay, so the next time we uh, visit with you, we're going to be talking about that kickoff more than likely here uh, You the got next it. couple of months as that gets uh, closer. But uh, with respect to that, uh, I know that a lot of times when people are asked to give to the United Way, one of the questions that comes up is, you know, what what do you do or how do you touch people uh, on an individual basis? And you've got another story uh, to share that just really uh, exemplifies that.
4: It does. So um, today I just want to talk about Mark's story. So uh, Mark was um, what his company actually reached out to us a few months ago. And he said, you know, Mark has been working here for about six weeks. Prior to that, he was unemployed and had racked up some bills. And as a result of it, um, six weeks into his job, he was homeless. Mm. So he and his kids were living out of their van, yeah. um, and he, they started to see some performance changes in him at work. And so pulled him in and said, Not surprising. Hey, what's going on? Yeah. You're a great employee. What can we do to help you? And at that point, it came out that he was homeless. Um, he did have a very solid paycheck coming in and able to pay, but he was having a hard time just finding a place mm-hmm. uh, locally. So the the company reached out to us and says, "Hey, you know we're a United Way partner. Can you provide us some resources?" So through that conversation, we were able to provide some resources to the HR department that hmm. were then able to help Mark and his family. Um, and just a week later, he was in an apartment. Uh, everything wow. was good at work. He was stabilized with his family, and then they were ready to go. So it's one of those stories of how do you help people get the resources that they need yeah. to get on the path that they want to in life. As I hear you
0: relate that story, two things kind of stand out uh, for me. Number one, uh, obviously that relationship that you have with a partner uh, agency or with a, uh, a company uh, supporting the United Way, uh, they were able to reach out. Of course, anybody can, but they were—they uh, knew that they had that established relationship where they could reach out and say, Hey, can you help?
4: Right. And that's why we're more than just once a year partners, right? Yeah. So we don't just come around during campaign season. Mm-hmm. We look at ways that we can provide resources to companies to help shore up some of the, f- the problems they may see in their workforce.
0: The other part that really stands out to me in that story is that Mark was able to actually open up and say, Hey, uh, I need some help. And, and so often, you know, we say there is help available. Um, we have to know who needs it to, in order to make the most out of those
4: resources. The struggle alone takes a lot of energy. Yeah. And then opening up on top of it can be Absolutely. difficult. But when you do and there's people to help, it ends up having a happy ending like this story did.
0: Yeah. And uh, thank goodness uh, that you were able to, uh, to make that happy ending uh, happen. And uh, only that's just one story. For those who, you know, find themselves in that type of a situation, again, you know, resources are there.
4: Right. So if, if it's somebody that you trust at work that you need, you can confide in if you're in a, in mm-hmm. a problem, or if it's somebody you just want to call into United Way itself and yeah. directly ask us, and we can help provide some resources. Uh, stories of uh, the
0: impact of the United Way of Hancock County. Again, Angela Dobosky, CEO of the Hancock County United Way. You've got more information for folks who want to learn more about what it is that you do uh, and and how you do it on your website, right? Yeah,
4: you can go to our website. You can see the programs that we fund and support as well as connect with us at uwhancock.org.
0: The Community and Business Spotlight is a promotional advertisement paid for by the featured sponsor. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, and that is goodmornings.net. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.